0: Welcome back to the ADRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Ferreira, and today we are going to give you an introduction to the issues surrounding the ongoing Canadian wildfires and just how our national programs are making a difference. There's lots to share, so let's get right into it. On today's episode, we are going to be hearing from two individuals who can shed some light on all things related to wildfires. First, you'll be hearing from Eric Hansen. He's a wildfire specialist who works alongside Indigenous communities in Northern Ontario to manage the fires. He was interviewed recently by our digital media specialist, Randy Sadawi, during a service trip that involved many young Adventist volunteers. You'll hear some of the clips from Randy and Eric's conversation, which will again give you greater insights into the kind of work that goes into responding to and preventing the forest fires. Secondly, you'll be hearing from Ray Fankhauser, who has recently come on board the ADRA team as the new national programs manager. Ray will be traveling out to Canada's western provinces to assess the needs of the communities there. And I believe he's in flight right now as we speak. Thankfully, he also found time to record us a summary of what he plans to do in order to give you the inside look at how Adra Canada works here at home. At this time, I'll turn it over to them. Thank
1: you, Teresa. Uh, this is Randy Sidawi. I'm uh, the digital fundraising specialist at Adra Canada, and we are here at uh, White Sand First Nation in Northern Ontario. We are here with IFNA. Independent First Nation Alliance, along with a team from ADRA and youth volunteers from the SDA Church as well, and youth directors that have come along um, not just to White Sand but to several communities. Um, but this team have been here in White Sand. And with me, I have Eric Hansen, a wildfire specialist that works with IFNA, but he has a long standing experience which he's going to
2: tell us more about. Well, oh, thank you, Randy, and I got to tell you, it's been a real pleasure working with the ADRA crew uh, these last two days. It Likewise. Was, uh, yeah. The, the spirit and the camaraderie and the, uh, the devotion to the work was, was just awesome. And I know the community of Whitesand really appreciates the, wor- the work you've done here. We are glad to hear that. As a wildfire uh, specialist for IFNA, uh, in our branch with IFNA is the Integrated Emergency Services. Uh, I've been with the organization for the last three years and uh, really proud to be working with them and the work that they've been doing with the communities. In um, all aspects of emergency services, so myself as a wildfire specialist, I had to provide uh, as much training as I can and guidance when it comes to the wildfires. Uh, prior to that, I had worked for the MNR for over forty years uh, as a, wild, on a on a wildfire crew for eighteen years and then the latter part as a manager in uh, wildfires that uh, led us across uh, Many uh, jurisdictions across uh, North America. So it was uh, that was a great experience and uh, and learned a lot from so many people ac- across the land. When I started in the early '70s, um, I was taught by the First Nation people mm-hmm. in the communities mm-hmm. on a fire crew. It would be uh, three uh, older fellows, maybe usually in the, th- in the '30s to '50s. And there'd be one or two of us forestry students, and we learned from them, learned the bush skills, learned how to put those fires out with, uh, from the First Nation people. And uh, over the years, uh, you know that uh, there's not as many uh, community members in, in that field anymore. And so one of our objectives is to get that uh, wildfire strength backed into the communities. To pass the torch, and this, back, is what, yeah. this is what this uh, is what we
1: saw you're doing with Valley uh, here in the past couple of days. You're teaching her how to use a chainsaw, and uh, and this is a knowledge that you have learned. You're passing it on, and uh, so that she can also pass it on. Yes. Um, so tell us a bit about the purpose of what we were doing and what we were doing really in the past two days, our team, and what is the purpose of that?
2: Yeah, well, my main purpose is uh, to train them into being able to uh, protect their community Mm -hmm. uh, uh, against wildfires that could be coming into the community or the wildfires that could actually start right within the community. And with our organization, we're also training the crew uh, to do structural uh, fires and uh, first responders. Uh, and eventually, we'll be getting uh, to drone training. Some of them have that now, so they're they're getting their basics, and then getting it advanced and utilizing that technology uh, to do all sorts of work in emergency services. Mm-hmm. And, and you're working in more than one community, like around. Yes, Ifna has uh, five communities: uh, mm-hmm. Laxul First Nation, Picandiacome, Muskrat Dam, uh, Ki, and uh, White Sand, where we are here. Which our team is, is deployed to all these
1: places to learn from IFNA, but also to help the communities. Yes. Uh, yeah. we, we are glad uh, to be a part.
3: Hey everyone, it's Max, the producer here. You'll be hearing from me occasionally during this section, just to bring some of the threads together. I want to give you a kind of compare and contrast experience. So in just a second, I'm going to give you back to Eric to hear a bit about what wildfire prevention looks like. But I'm hoping to show you what the spectrum of activities looks like from the prevention side to the response side. So first, here's Eric talking about the nature of the project that he and Randy were present for in Ontario.
2: Approximately 10 years ago, uh, a fire guard was put around the community. So basically cleared down to mineral soil and about okay. uh, 50 feet wide. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens over time is uh, trees fall across it, uh, then uh, brush grows up. So what we've been doing the last two days with with your organization, which was awesome I must say, was uh, clearing it out and taking away the woody material, because that fire guard is used to prevent uh, fires from coming outside of the community towards the community. And uh, but a lot of times, uh, the, the larger fires can jump that fire guard. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we may need access to fight that fire for off the fire guard, or we might be burning out from the fire guard. Mm-hmm. What is a fire guard exactly? Like, what is it? Yes, the, the fire guard is to... Uh, is the primary, when when you put in a fire guard, most of the time we've used it is to burn out from. So you're not, you're burning out from uh, mineral soil and not from where the community is with the forest Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and burning out from there. So you're eliminating what we call the fuels and the fuels are the the trees and the brushes and everything else. And as you eliminate that towards the big fire that may be coming to the community, once it comes into a, a burn, Well, then that barrier becomes larger because even some of the fires I've seen that have been maybe 200 foot flame heights and maybe a five kilometer head on it coming towards a community. It could spot up to five kilometers Mm. like embers flying out and creating another fire in front of it. Approximately at the most I've seen is five kilometers.
3: I just want to illustrate the reality of what he was just sharing about. Obviously, he's talking from his own experience in training and, you know, a bit to do with the context in northwestern Ontario. But the point he just made about embers flying overhead and spreading the fire well beyond its ground position is something that we saw unfold in stark ways very recently. I spoke with a pastor from the Kelowna area in British Columbia, and he shared with me a bit about how the fire managed to basically jump over a lake in the form of embers shooting off through the air. One such ember even landed in the back of a family home in their backyard, effectively spreading the fire to another side of a lake where people thought they would be safe. The same pastor who told me this story also mentioned that when the fire first started, people underestimated its range. They could see the large pillars and walls of flame moving along the ground. What they didn't realize, though, was that this fire was shooting off embers that were landing near their local airport at some points apparently 8 kilometers away from where the base of the fire was actually burning. The effect of this kind of wild spread is, as you can imagine, devastating. And the way things have played out on the Canadian West Coast have meant many families have had to become displaced from their homes in order to survive. On that note, I want to let you hear a bit from our recently onboarded program manager for our national programs, Ray Fankhauser. At the time that I recorded this clip from him, he was gearing up to head out to British Columbia to conduct a needs assessment. And here's what he had in mind on his way out to conduct that trip.
4: Yeah, I think the uh, first thing that we decided to do strategically is to understand this not just as an emergency, like a day and night emergency, but that this is something that has many stages, right? So the media tends to pay the most attention to the pictures where you see the fires burning high above the forests but in fact uh, the damage and the suffering happens usually at uh, at ground level so what we've decided to do is to make sure that the resources that we have as Adra can be most effectively used to assist families that have been evacuated, but not just families that have had to leave, but also families that have to find a way to get back to whatever life that they had before. Because nothing is ever going to be the same. Uh, It's not just in the case of people who might have had their houses burned down. And we know that there are hundreds of, of properties that have been destroyed or significantly damaged, but it's for us to understand then what are the needs, right? What is it in terms of nutrition? What is it in terms of social services? What is it in terms of trauma management? That you're dealing with um, and not just in terms of conventional middle-aged adults, but you need to think about it in terms of how are children affected, how are seniors affected, how are medical courses of treatment affected when you're away from the infrastructure that you would usually expect to have. And when I think of places like Yellowknife, that's exactly what comes to mind. So, what are we doing this week and beyond? Well, I'm going to British Columbia um, later this week, and we are going to be assessing and assisting. Uh, And why do I say assessing and uh, assessing before assisting? It's because usually, if you just provide help with your eyes closed, you're not going to be anywhere near as effective. So, that's why we always say assess and assist. I'm going there uh, as uh, an assessor to make sure that the resources that we have and the donations that we've received can actually be directed to places where we can achieve concrete results. Specifically, what that means right now is in British Columbia, we have Camp Hope. You've probably seen some mention on our social media feeds and elsewhere about Camp Hope. So that is Um, The British Columbia Conference operates a camp which has been made available to evacuees in British Columbia. So we're talking about dozens of people who have received accommodation and other forms of support, and we have made ourselves ready to accommodate uh, over 150 people on that site. So that's one of the areas where ADRA is seeking to provide even more support. One of the things we
3: encountered in the aftermath of some of these Canadian fires has been a misunderstanding of what kind of things ADRA can do in response to this kind of situation. Some people in the affected areas were wondering, where is ADRA? Why don't I see ADRA staff, say, running around in fire gear or evacuating people from houses or maybe spraying off fire extinguishers? The reality is that we're not firefighters and we're not EMS. What ADRA does is support prevention efforts, like the kind of thing that IFNA does, as well as respond to the needs of survivors after a wildfire does happen. When a huge forest fire is raging, it doesn't make logistic sense for us to send more people running into the blaze. What does make sense is for us to respond in a more sustainable way to the needs that emerge among survivors after they have escaped the flames.
4: When it comes to Kelowna or the Okanagan, that's also a fast moving situation. And so what we focused on, for example, is providing support for people who have had to leave their areas. Um, They haven't necessarily gone too far. And so we have identified a few locations where, for example, people who escaped in their RVs would be able to receive infrastructure and support. Sometimes it's really simple stuff like sewage or electricity or hygiene facilities. Um, you know, it's not always the the headline grabbing stuff. It's about how do people get through their day to day with their families? How do they maintain some sense of normalcy? Um, and how can they not spend inordinate amount of time looking for support when they're trying to maintain, for example? their children's education or any other um, things that they may have going on. So that's where we've placed ourselves um, in British Columbia on on the Alberta side. Things are also shaping up in terms of how people have come down out of Yellowknife and how we envision that they will be able to return, what sort of pressures they're going to be facing. We're looking at job situations where... We know that businesses may have lost significant pieces of their viability. So for the time being, we know that a lot of businesses have continued to pay employees even though they're not available to work. That can't last forever. Eventually, businesses will run out of money. So then the question is, how do we support people who are affected by that type of situation? How will they be able to pay their rent um, and we all know that in the current housing context, if you need to find some place new, you're probably not going to be paying whatever you were paying in your, in your old place. So how do we bridge those gaps? How do we manage the, even the, the issue of cost of living, which has existed well before these emergencies and can only get worse as, as supplies become more difficult to, to acquire?
3: Now, obviously, we can see that the needs that people face are quite great, but I think that perhaps some people listening may not understand the scale and scope of what these wildfires may actually be like. It's possible that some of you may have heard rhetoric minimizing the impact of these fires, though, you know, hopefully not. Let's hear from Eric on this point.
1: Um, what is the size of these fires that you're talking? How, how big are these fires uh, that you're talking about?
2: Well um, I know you I know you're going to hear on the news all different sizes and mm-hmm. uh, so here in northwestern Ontario you know we've I've I've been on ones up to 250 300 hectares wow. so just to give you an idea of the size is uh 10, hectares is 10 kilometers by 10 kilometers wow. so most of the fires are long, like, uh, it, so say, for example, if it's uh, 300,000 hectares, it could be, um, you know, 20 kilometers, 15, 20, 20 kilometers wide by, say, 30 kilometers long type thing. But it's not square, <laughs> and it's irregular, and it has bays exactly, and fingers, exactly. and some areas don't burn, and some areas do burn. It and, uh, and, Yeah, it's not a... A perfect shape all the way around it, so the perimeter around it could be hundreds of kilometers around a, a, a three hundred thousand uh, hectare. And, and fire. these are
1: common; these are yearly things that you watch and, and monitor.
2: Well, not quite yearly. Um, in, during the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and and uh, we would get maybe those kind of fires every three or five years. And uh, lately here. Uh, this year, uh, in Northwest Ontario, 60,000, 100,000 hectare fires. 2021, we had a few of them that size. And, and yeah. you said something about this
1: past year, with uh, the fires that happened across the country. Um, you said it's, it's irregular to all happen at the same time. Yes. And uh, now we have the Hawaii uh, fire that yes. just happened. No. Can you talk to us a bit about that?
2: Yes, that's uh, that's 2021, and and this year especially, uh, the the busiest uh, year for Canada as a whole was 1981 prior to this year. Now this year became the busiest year for Canada as a whole with the number of forest fires and the and the amount of hectares burned, and, and that's you know what you've heard of Nova Scotia, which was. Mm-hmm. You know, usually the further east you go, the more moisture there is, and it's not usually uh, an area where um, you get those kind of uh, larger fires that impact uh, communities and that type of thing. In Northern Quebec, uh, they, they, they do have a fair fire load over the years, but more so this year. And then Northwestern Ontario, a little above average and uh, so far... And uh, you get into Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and, Al- and then Alberta, BC, and Northwest ter- Northwest Territories, and then, then the Yukon. So everybody having a fair load of fires all at the same time. That that is uh, that amount has never happened before. It puts the stress on you guys
1: trying to control and manage and go and help.
2: Yes, and the, uh, well, where that really comes into play is that. Um, Uh, We rely on each other's resources, so if we're busy in Northwest Ontario, we usually get crews from BC, Alberta, uh, other provinces to help out, out. but those crews aren't available because they're busy at home, and that goes for water bombers and helicopters, and uh, so now the provinces are, uh, are relying on getting help from other countries. Like South America, Costa Rica, Mexico, um, yeah. you know, uh, to come and help. Yeah, and and it, and it's great that they do come and help. But it, it's um it's a different forest. It's a different way of fighting for uh, forest fires and that type of thing. So it's um, we end up becoming quite global now and starting learning a lot from each other.
1: That's which is which is yeah, which a good is thing.
2: that which part's is
3: good. good yeah. Ray can expand a bit more on that point about the other countries who are providing assistance and the key role that ADRA is going to play there.
4: We have received for the first time support from USAID. So that's the U.S. International Aid uh, Department, so to speak, Uh, USAID has generally been involved in other countries. ADRA has dealt with USAID elsewhere, but this would be the first time that USAID is providing any form of humanitarian assistance in Canada, and they chose to do this with ADRA. So this is what we consider to be a massive blessing. It's a massive opportunity as well. We realize that Canada has some needs that we're not always able to deal with, um, whether it's at a government level or otherwise. There are a lot of resources in Canada, but still, when you have a crisis of this magnitude, there's no way that we have enough resources internally to deal with it. So the fact that we're receiving that type of assistance is really big for us. We're actually planning to do some targeted cash assistance to families. So once we identify what is needed on the ground, we will be able to provide specific and appropriate assistance uh, to recipients and then develop relationships with those individuals and those families. So we just want to mention that. Obviously, Adra is doing a lot more than that. But one of the core grants that we have is from USAID. So pray for us as, as we make the most of that opportunity that's been given to us.
3: Now, if you're anything like me, you may have found yourself at some point thinking, wait a second, uh, what if a wildfire happens near where I live? What should I do? Or perhaps you've thought, how can I make sure something like this doesn't happen in my community? Eric Hansen had some practical advice to give. Granted, this is not universal or definitive advice, just the perspective of a person with experience in this field. And one of Eric's upcoming points he's about to make is also our main point to you. In any emergency situation, be aware of your surroundings, tune into local communication lines like the radio or the internet, and cooperate with the appropriate local authorities.
1: Our listeners here are like, what do I do? I hear there's a wildfire. What is the best thing as uh, a house that I can do, like personal, but also as a community? What are the best things that we can do to
2: help in emergency or protect ourselves and our community? Yes. Well, I think the most important thing is uh, to listen to the radio and uh, or Facebook. Sometimes in the communities, there's updates on the face on, on Facebook. But uh, stay tuned to what's going on with the weather um, and and the media covers it. Uh, your community will, will be covering it, your, the people that are in charge of uh, emergency management in our community. Uh, but as, as yourself, as uh, as a homeowner, you, you should be prepared for an evacuation. Uh, and that's having uh, your medication, making sure your uh, vehicles are gassed up all the time, uh, because if all of a sudden it's a quick evacuation and you, you're, you're not full fuel, uh, for communities that have... That's a trouble. ...that they can drive out type thing, eh? Uh, you know, so having your emergency supplies, your uh, identification, those type of things uh, ready to go, and uh, your most valuables uh, that you want, whether they're pictures or jewelry or, or the things that mean a lot to you, um, you should take them. And that's, that's for that immediate one. But as a homeowner, you've... Um, just even looking at your house, you should be looking at uh, not having a wood pile stacked up and going right up against your house. Or having uh, coniferous trees, like evergreen trees, uh, growing right beside your house. Is
1: that a positive
2: thing? No. Oh, no, you don't want No, that. we don't want... Uh, okay. Like spruce trees, like Christmas-type trees uh, yeah. growing right up beside your house because those are the most uh, vulnerable uh, d- d- to go up into flames and then burn your house. Like uh, the more leafy and lush, like uh, very leafy lush plants are are a lot better than the trees with needles. Okay. Yeah. So they they could, t- like t- trees grind. with needles are very volatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having them right up against your house is... Um, the be- better chances of losing your house. And then the material on your house. If you could have a metal roof, um, anything wood around your building, um, you have to be careful of. Uh, cutting your grass so you don't have dead grass and uh, and, and those type of things around your house. So it doesn't reach. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and the, that's called Fire Smart. And there's lots of pamphlets out there. Uh, your local uh, organization—it could be the MNR—will uh, supply them uh, the pamphlets and, and get into more detail of what what I was talking about. So get knowledge, be prepared. That's
1: that's really what. Yes. We push, you know, be prepared. Don't wait till emergency to get prepared because it's it's a bit too late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To do that.
3: One of the things that became a point of interest for us a few months ago when the stories around these fires really became prominent was looking to churches in Alberta that had gone through ADRA's emergency preparedness training. What some people may not realize is that ADRA volunteers and participating church communities can become part of ADRA's response in emergency situations. We are of course not asking you to run into a fire and pull people out, obviously. But church buildings can quickly turn into accommodation for displaced people or be used by the government to store emergency response supplies. That kind of readiness training can enable a church community to really embody a spirit of service for the broader society. And in these kinds of situations, community really matters.
2: I mean, what keeps me going are the community crews. They, the devotion and, and how eager they are to learn and uh, and protect their community this is what it's all about and and i've seen so many future leaders uh, coming through this program and and this is what really makes it worthwhile and 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 because the way things are now too is to the, the ability to protect your own community um, yeah. you know the resources may not be there you know and it's so much more important to be able to protect your own and i know these crews uh, we'll be able to do it and are doing it now. And they have the heart in yeah, it. The, the heart and soul for it. Yeah, the devotion is. I haven't seen that before. Eric, thank you
1: much. You have a big heart. Uh, thanks for Ifna as well for for leading these projects, who are really touching people here um, and protecting communities uh, as well. Thank you very much and uh, have a lovely day.
2: Oh, thank you, Randy and Arda. Sorry. You guys have been awesome. Thank Thank you. Thank you.
0: So there you have it, an inside look at what it takes to manage the risks surrounding wildfires. We will keep you updated as we get more news from the response to wildfires in BC, Alberta, Yukon, Nova Scotia, and the Northwest Territories. We especially look forward to an update from Ray when he returns from his trip. Also, don't forget that at the time of this podcast recording, ADRA Canada is still raising funds for our response to the wildfires. So please, do consider donating to this vital response effort. There are families who have been displaced from their homes and they need your support. With your help, ADRA Canada can respond to the real hardships faced by real people. This is the work we live for at ADRA. Make sure to subscribe to this show and to follow us on all our social media in order to stay up to date with how you can help. Our mission, as always, is to serve humanity so all may live as God intended. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.